everyone. Welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. I'm very excited for today's guest. It is Dr. Patrick Carroll, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Hims and Hers. This, this is a really exciting episode. It's our first Chief Medical Officer that's ever been on the podcast, which is super exciting. And Dr. Carroll has a really unique background he started out um, really being heavily involved in uh, all things clinical, and then he really moved on to the into the like innovation side of healthcare, working for like Walgreens and and now Hims and Hers. So, without further ado, let's bring him onto the podcast and, and hear his story. This Good call is now being recorded. All right, so this is uh, Dr. Pat Carroll. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Hims and Hers, a telehealth health uh, platform. Um, we're based out of San Francisco, but we now have a presence in every state in the nation. Um, so I do get asked fairly often, how did you end up being a Chief Medical Officer for a um, health uh, slash tech uh, company uh, from where you started? And in many ways, I'm the embodiment of the evolution of primary care. For 25 years, I did full scope family practice. So I'm, I'm a board certified family physician. I also have subspecialty training and certification in adolescent medicine. Um, I um, always wanted to work in primary care and as a family physician, I could do all of that really from nursery to nursing home. So after I completed my residency training in family practice, I actually worked four years with the Indian Health Service in, in uh, Shiprock, New Mexico. And that really informed my career because back in 1987 to 1991, we were doing population health management of large groups of fairly um, high acuity uh, patients um, with really limited resources. So it was really taking care of a population, being aware of the uh, health conditions that they were struggling with, doing a lot of outreach into the community to help them with their health care, and then um, really delivering high-value care at a fairly low cost um, with quality all in mind. So after four years with Indian Health Service, I set up practice in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, sleepy capital of New Hampshire, small city, about 60,000. And it was really myself and a uh, another physician, another primary care physician, and we hired four nurse practitioners, which was a little unheard of at the time to use advanced practitioners in, in that uh, degree, um, but really established a very, very fun, very, uh, uh, I think, well-respected in the community primary care practice. Again, we did the full scope of primary care. I saw patients in the hospital. I saw newborns in the nursery. Um, and... Uh, was there eight to five, um, Monday through Friday, um, and really practiced in that setting uh, right up to um, 2009. Um, and what I saw in terms of the changing uh, landscape in primary care was that uh, there was definitely a shortage then, which is worsening now in the next 10 years anticipated we're going to be probably about 50 to 60,000 primary care physicians uh, short. I also saw that it was increasingly difficult to do 
standard primary care. I had a panel of 3,500 patients, which is a lot of patients. And to care for those patients, both in and out of the hospital, um, yeah, it was really difficult to find enough time in the day. And then I also saw the evolution of the change in really expectations of physicians. When I first started practice, uh, folks realized I was there Monday through Friday. Um, after hours, after 5 p.m., uh, the answering service took over. Uh, rarely did I get calls after hours unless they were true emergencies. And then on weekends, patients occasionally would call you, but they'd wait till Monday to, to give you a call and to get seen. Well, care has totally changed. Uh, the way I put it is, particularly near the end of my career, and what I see today is that the patients will no longer be patients. They really want, and they do deserve 24-7 care. And that standard, uh, old standard of that Monday through Friday practice and then switching things over to an answering service is really not uh, applicable or accepted by patients today. They really want access to care. And the other dynamic that I saw changing dramatically from the beginning to the end of my career is that a lot of the risk, particularly financial risk for uh, patients, uh, was being shifted to them from the insurance company, from the employer to the patients. Uh, today, you know, we have looked at data at HIMSS and HERS, and it's nationally reported that uh, the average deductible is somewhere between $1,400 and $1,600 per, per patient. You know, many of them are in high deductible health plans um, from their employer. And so folks are paying more and more out of pocket uh, for their care. So two shifting dynamics that I saw in primary care from the beginning to the, to the when I finished my standard primary care practice in 2009 was that uh, patients wanted and, and deserved more access to care, but they're also paying more out of pocket. And I think both of those uh, dynamics are actually even increasing over the last uh, eight to nine years. And so then in 2011, I kind of made a, a excuse me, 2009, actually, I left full-time primary care practice, and I actually returned to do a two-year project with the Indian Health Service. I set up school-based health clinics and a patient-centered medical home network back where I started practice 25 years ago, which was really fascinating. It was like back to the future for me. Um, I, I returned to the place where I first started practice. I did this two-year project with the uh, federal government on the Navajo area. Really loved it. I used my adolescent medicine experience, primary care experience, and really helped them with uh, electronic medical record conversion, as well as um, helping establish a patient-centered medical home model, um, you know, in, on the Navajo reservation where, where I started years ago. So when that project was getting completed, um, we had some pretty good recognition for the work that we were doing, and I, I got recruited out of the blue to return to the Boston area by a really great organization called Atrius Health, and I became a regional chief medical officer at Atrius Health that was in the Boston area. Um, by all rights, I, I didn't have the qualifications to do that job, but I think they saw my background in primary care, the work I'd done with the Indian Health Service, and I, I jumped right into it, and so I managed um, not only uh, uh, helped lead a physician group, a multi-specialty physician group, but I got very involved with Atrius around their risk-based uh, models of care. And at that time, as it is today, over 80% of their patients are at some form of financial risk, as well as Atrius took risk on the quality um, of the patients and the care they delivered. We had a significant number of patients in Medicare Advantage program uh, through Medicare Preferred, and then we were one of the original groups in the Pioneer ACO, which was the 
you know, uh, pilot Medicare shared savings program. So at Atrius, when I was there from 2011 to uh, 2013, um, I was very involved with these new models of population health, accountable care organization, and really enjoyed the work there. Um, I was still able to practice part-time. And um, based on my work at Atrius um, and the fact that you know, Boston and Massachusetts was at the forefront of, of population health and risk-based care. I got recruited to work as a chief medical officer at a integrated delivery network called Hartford Healthcare, which is a great organization. It's an almost $3 billion system. I'd never worked in a leadership role for an integrated delivery network. So they had the hospitals, they had the behavioral health facilities, they had visiting nurses, they had um, all the provider group around 2000 uh, providers. And they were just dipping their toes into taking risk in terms of an ACO type model. So I helped them uh, start up the Medicare Shared Savings Program in Hartford. I worked with them on some of the contracting with the commercial payers. And then I, a lot of my role there was really educating both primary and specialty care physicians about um, the world that I came from, which was, you know, that Atrius Health, Boston, uh, uh, um, risk-taking entities that was actually moving fairly quickly into Connecticut. So really enjoyed the work there and um, got kind of a cold outreach by uh, Walgreens uh, after two years at Hartford. Um, I had done some work around retail health at Hartford Healthcare and Walgreens wanted me to lead their retail health division, which is these retail clinics. At the time, they had close to 500. So um, that fascinated me. What I actually saw as a trend in healthcare, things were moving from really the physician-centric model to the patient-consumer-centric model. And retail health was really one of those um, areas uh, in consumer-centric care. Um, at the time, um, and that was back in 2014, um, they weren't fully embraced retail clinics. Um, there was some controversy about, you know, are they really delivering good health care? Are they um, really saving money for in, in the healthcare ecosystem? Do patients really enjoy or like the experience at retail health? And so I looked at it as a great opportunity to join a, a large pharmacy organization, but one also that had these retail clinics and markets, I think 30 markets around the country. So I joined Walgreens and I actually was there from 2014 to 2019, just this past June. Um, my role really evolved at Walgreens. I led the retail clinic um, business unit, but then I became more involved with their strategy and execution of that strategy, which was to really create a healthcare neighborhood hub at the Walgreens stores. So that was bringing in lab services, hearing, uh, vision services as well as primary care actually right within the Walgreens stores. Again, that's consumer centric. You know, patients loved the fact that they could get their lab tests and their vision check and uh, even primary care or retail right at a Walgreens. So um, it was very interesting work. I enjoyed my time at Walgreens. It was, Walgreens is a great organization doing a lot of innovative uh, programs. Um, and I, I never foresaw myself that I was going to go to, you know, the West Coast. It, it really was not a compulsion to wear skinny jeans or to report to a 31-year-old CEO, but indeed, that's what I'm doing today. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it. You know, our CEO, Andrew uh, Dudum, even though he's young, really has a firm grasp on where healthcare is going. Um, 
being in the startup world, um, you know, you realize that things move very quickly and it's very disruptive out there in terms of what's happening and what folks are uh, bringing forward in healthcare. And what I saw and what attracted me to hims and hers is that it is truly the next iteration of uh, consumer facing care. So it was really the next level beyond retail clinics. It was really going to where the consumer was, particularly that millennial demographic, which we are really in tune with. They're actually seeking out access, but they're also looking at price transparency. So off of our platform at Hims and Hers, we offer um, 42 products and, and about 12 to 14 conditions that we treat that require a prescription. Um, so it's a really interesting model in the respect that the consumer comes to our platform because they've read about it or they're concerned about a condition, they can go right on to our telehealth platform and then they answer questions um, and inquire about certain things like hair loss, you know, which actually begins in the late 20s and early 30s. Um, they read about hair loss and they're very interested in what's available out there. So we offer both over-the-counter products, but also prescription uh, strength uh, products. For those prescription strength products, um, they actually follow an evidence-based guideline. We get a, a thorough history, their past medical history, medications they're on, and then that information gets stored and forwarded to the providers. The providers actually review that and see if the patient qualifies for medication. In return, there's two-way communication between the customer and the physician, and then if they qualify, uh, they pay a subscription service and the medications are sent to them on a monthly basis. Um, what's amazing about this model is that it is truly embraced, particularly by millennials. They like the fact they can access care. They know exactly what they're going to pay on a monthly basis, and they get the medication sent to them, which actually helps quite a bit with adherence. Um, so this direct-to-consumer model is really innovative. It's being you know, embraced um, by consumers, and it's an exciting area to be in. And what my focus has been since being with the company in June is to look at really expanding the scope of care. So we're going to be offering different conditions, expanded uh, conditions, which we've done in the last few months, but stay tuned. We're going to offer a lot more, um, particularly since, as we just recently announced, we're going to add synchronous visits. That means it's not just a, uh, you know, patient coming on, uh, text um, filling out information and then forwarding it to the physicians, but they will have the opportunity to um, actually have a live telehealth visit or a live uh, phone call uh, interaction uh, with physicians. That allows us to get into all 50 states currently before when we were just on the asynchronous platform, we were just in 28. I think more importantly from my perspective, though, it will allow us to expand scope of care and have some conditions that truly require a synchronous face-to-face -face visit. Um, and we're excited about what we can do over the next six to 12 months in terms of expanding scope of care. But the, the fundamental um, you know, premise stays the same. Access to care, price transparency, particularly in these folks who have more and more have high deductible health plans and then providing high-quality care following evidence-based guidelines. So, you know, if, you, if you, I gave you kind of the short elevator talk of my career, I, and I have people ask me this all the time, how'd you go from, you know, working with the Indian Health Service to a telehealth company like Hims and Hers? 
Um, it's a nonlinear career path, but for me, all the pieces fit together. Um, starting off working with a, a population that was truly underserved in, in New Mexico, um, actually delivering care for a large population um, and really ending up at a very consumer-centric company um, that's innovative. But I would also put forward that in many ways, our millennials are underserved. Um, they have difficulty accessing care. Their burden for chronic disease is actually increasing. Some recent studies have verified that, that things like diabetes and hypertension and depression and anxiety are increasing. Um, they have concerns about accessing care, particularly for stigmatized conditions such as erectile dysfunction and hair loss. And, and we have a HERS platform where folks can get uh, oral contraceptives. Um, and we have a great dermatology offering too. So these conditions that, um, you know, prior to this direct consumer model, the millennials were not embraced into the system. And certainly many of them uh, did not have a great level of comfort to establishing with a new uh, brick and mortar, face-to-face -face, um, primary care physician, particularly for conditions that um, were difficult to talk to. So we not only provide education, but we provide access in a very affordable way. So um, kind of a long narrative, but I think it no, fits together. It and uh, it's, it's, it's great work. I really enjoy the work that I'm doing today. Yeah, I can, I can tell Dr. Carroll how excited you are about about this uh, this new role and everything that the company's doing. It's it's certainly interesting when you list you know, price transparency, access to care, and being able to provide high quality care. When when you look at kind of those value points and continuing to scale this business, so you talk access to care now. Obviously, being able to provide care in all fifty states, like you said, uh, through um, synchronous uh, care is, is really important, but how, how also important is getting more healthcare professionals to join the HIMSS platform so that you can be able to see you know, all the different millennials and other people looking to have access to, to your type of care? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a um, collaborating group around a little over 200 physicians who receive the visits today uh, off our platform. And so we work very closely with them, particularly around quality, establish a really good quality structure. We review a significant number of encounters. We give that quality data to the physician leaders of the medical group, and then they do the follow-up with it based on protocols that we both agree on. Um, um, but the providers that Come, that serve the patients on our platform. They're not full-time, save for a few of them on our, on our um, application. They're actually, they have a day job. They could be internists that have practice or hospitalists or emergency room physicians or family physicians. And they choose to spend some of their off hours or in between hours practicing off our platform. So I, they, I, I, I believe in talking to many of them in, in the leadership of that group, they truly enjoy the the telehealth offering um, that we have at Hims and Hers. Uh, they see uh, customers that are very appreciative. Um, it's pretty frictionless, frictionless way to deliver care. And what's interesting to them and great for them is they don't have to do any billing, right? They don't have to deal with all the paperwork that is really the burden of primary care physicians, particularly today. And so they look at it as really pure medical care delivery 
um, and and a really you know valuable interaction with patients. So it is a um, it, it it's you know you'd think it would be really challenging to recruit physicians, but we've been very successful in bringing them on once they understand what the offering is. Yeah, and and plus the fact that you're an innovative company in a healthcare space that's often sad to say, but not not the most innovative of all the industries. <laughs> so it it's uh, I'm sure that also helps. Um, you guys have a really cool brand, and it, it'll definitely be interesting to continue to see the growth of the company moving forward, uh, especially with you now in the fold. Yeah, we have a great team. It's not just me. It's it's really some seasoned, um, although very young, uh, executives. Um, I'm, I'm probably the, the more of the senior citizen in the group, but they they bring <laughs> a lot of experience in terms of startups and marketing. And so I'm learning every day from them. Wow, that's great. Now, when you, when you started working there, did you have to buy your own pair of skinny jeans or did they give you that in part of the, the, the comp package? So I did have to buy my own skinny jeans. <laughs> and I have a story. Chelsea's heard this so many times. She gets tired of it. But... Um, that Christmas, this past Christmas, you know, a year ago, my kids got me these things called Allbirds for for a Christmas present. And I thought they were sneakers. And I said, I can't wear these to Walgreens. You know, it's a very conservative company. So w when I got recruited for Hims and Hers, I had to text my kids and say, well, you know, I'm going to interview with a 31-year-old CEO. What should I wear? And they said, no Suco. Dad, you got to wear skinny jeans, a white uh, button-down shirt, and make sure you wear those all birds. And I thought, I don't know, that's kind of pushing it. So I did wear a suit coat. I didn't wear jeans, but I didn't wear a tie, which my kids advised me not to. And I did wear my all birds. And now at the end of the interview with Andrew, our CEO, he looked under the table and said, Pat, I love your all birds. They're really comfortable, aren't they? And so my kids were right. And so as I left the interview, I, I texted them all with three thumbs up. And I was, I was thrilled I was wearing the right clothes that day. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, true. What, a, a few things before we, we wrap up this podcast, Dr. Carroll, I, I would like to hear a little bit of, and you, you mentioned some of it throughout the podcast already, but what advice would you have to uh, healthcare professionals that are kind of looking to switch onto the startup side of the business or even students that are just starting out their career, but one day want to be in a position that you're in? Um, so the second question, I get asked that a fair amount, you know, um, at Walgreens, I had to speak a lot externally and even at Hims and Hers, I do a lot of external speaking. And it, it seems like there's always one or two folks in the audience that are in med school or just starting the internship to residency and, 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 and they want a, a clear direction about, okay, I want your job. How do I get your job? <laughs> More or less. And, and, and I tell them, I said, look, it's, it's really nonlinear. You, you don't expect, you know, for me to start out as a primary care physician in Shiprock, New Mexico and end up at a startup in San Francisco. I said, what's really important is that, you know, you get your training, you go through medical school and go through your residency and go and practice for years. You know, see patients, understand what it is to be a primary care or even a specialty physician. See patients, understand their struggles, understand the struggles and the, and the challenges for physicians. Um, 
it seems like there's a, a trend recently for folks to get go through med school, go through residency, and get the MBA at the same time, and, and then them wanting to go directly into leadership role. You, you'll never have the credibility among other providers um, unless you actually practice for a period of time. So my, my one piece of advice is it, it, it's not linear. Make sure you practice for some period of time to really understand the healthcare ecosystem before you start looking for leadership roles. My second piece of advice is always, always be willing to step forward to do something that may be a little bit out of your comfort zone. You know, in, in my time, it, was, it, it basically, when I was in practice at Concord, New Hampshire, you know, the, the CEO of the hospital would say, well, we need someone to work on utilization management. We need a physician leader on this work or that work. And, and there would be like 10 of us in the room and nine would more or less step backwards. And I was the physician left standing. And I, I, cho I chose to take up some things that I was not entirely comfortable with, but everything I did outside of my clinical practice, and much of it was on my own time, whether that be working for a health plan that was in New Hampshire or doing utilization management leadership or hospital leadership at, at Concord Hospital. It all gave me valuable experience that actually prepared me for roles later in life. So as a physician, get clinical practice, but also don't be afraid to get outside your comfort zone and take some leadership roles. Because I think the biggest mistake we make as providers and as physicians is just to step back and complain about how the system is broken, but really not be willing to step forward to make changes or to take leadership roles to, to change the system. That's great advice. Great, thank you so much. Um, All right. Well, appreciate you being on the on the Slice of Healthcare podcast today, Dr. Carroll. And hopefully, at some point, we'll be able to have you back on. Maybe after you've been at the company, um, you know, uh, maybe heading into 2021, we're able to hear kind of some new updates and where where you're at and everything. But looking forward to continuing, um, you know, this relationship and, and following the, the progress of Hems and Hers. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Our sponsor for this podcast is our parent company, Block Health. They make life easier for healthcare professionals and organizations. The platform will save healthcare professionals and organizations time, money, and provide less headaches during the onboarding process. For more information, please go to www.blochealth.com. Th.com. That's blockhealth.com. And follow Block Health on social media at B L O C H E A L T H Health at Block Health. Thanks. Thank you to everyone who joined us for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Be sure to check out our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com, and follow us on social media at slice of healthcare on pretty much every channel except twitter which is at slice of hc if you're interested in being a guest or you know someone that would be a great guest be sure to send us a direct message on instagram or fill out our contact form on our website we look forward to bringing you continue uh, to continuing to bring you great content moving forward and can't wait for what the future holds thank you <laughs>